Hey, it's Jason. Just a quick note that I think I had an improperly seated mic cable during this interview, and so there's more microphone noise than there should be. I apologize for that, and I tried to get rid of as much of it as possible, and hopefully after a little while into the interview, you'll forget this note ever even existed, but because it is noticeable, I thought I'd mention it. Enjoy the show. Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 215 for November 26th, 2021. On today's show, singer-songwriter Hannah Bingman. If you'd like to support this show, go to patreon.com slash vanarchism. You'll get early access to every episode, a monthly bonus show, plus travel essays and photos and videos, which chronicle my travels across the U.S. in a minivan. Again, that's patreon.com slash vanarchism. I'm going to thank a Patreon supporter by name on each episode. This week, my heartfelt thanks go out to Hans. I spent the last week, most of last week, as you're listening to this, in Rochester, New York. And it all went quite well until the very end. On the last night that I was in Rochester, I went, uh, I was actually staying in a suburb of Rochester, and I went into the city to do an interview for this podcast. And on the way back to my sister's house after the interview, the car in the lane next to me lost control, hit a wall, bounced into my minivan, struck it on the side, and then I spun out and hit a wall. So there's a fair amount of damage to my van. Uh, luckily, that person admitted to being responsible. We have the same insurance company and insurance should hopefully fix all of the problems. I think this latest accident is pushing me toward some van life decisions that have been in the works for a while. And I'll keep you updated on that as this podcast goes on, but might be time to do something slightly different than what I'm doing right now. (laughs) There's only, only so many messages from the angry gods that you could receive before you have to start listening, I think is the point. I'm so excited to bring you today's episode. Uh, the The person who's on the show today is just one of my favorite musicians, has been for years, uh, someone I barely know personally, um, but am now fixing that, which is very exciting, and uh, someone whose music I just dearly love and whose whole uh, persona, which I don't mean to make it sound like it's an affect, but you know, whose whole way of moving through the world, uh, I've always been very moved by. So... Let's just dive into it, shall we? Here's my chat with Hannah Bacon. Been picking up bad vibrations so far away from home. Been wandering all creation, kingdom come. Some say I lost my mind. Some say I made this bed. Turn down them sheets and I, I'm gonna lie in it. Hannah Bingman, welcome to A Brief Chat. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. We are recording this uh, in your home in central Pennsylvania. I've always been just fascinated by the fact that if I met you like on the road in the 1800s, it would seem to make just as much sense as the fact that I met you in the 21st (laughs) century. And uh, I feel like that kind of timelessness is part of your songwriting and your the your song craft and the way you put both lyrics together and music together. I don't know if that rings true at all for you or if it feels like it 
it it hits about something that you are? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been doing this since I was 16, playing out since I was 16. And for context, I'm 37. And um, I've always had that whole like, oh, you're such an old soul kind of sure. thing. And I never really got that. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I just assume this is how everybody sees me. You know? <laughs> That's funny that you say that because the a lot of people think my songwriting is quite vulnerable at the same time, but I guess maybe there is quite, there's a bit of a, a universality to it. I think a small sketch I could paint for the listeners, which I would not have been able to paint before about two minutes ago, is that I just met one of your cats. And I think if I paint this little picture, this is going to put a lot of things into perspective for people. So first of all, your the cat's name is Coltrane. It's a huge plus in my book right off the bat. And I already knew that you had a cat named Coltrane, but it's it's a it's a major plus for me. And then Coltrane was sitting on the couch under a piece of abstract art, and on either end of the couch were a framed uh, George Orwell 1984 cover and a framed Watership Down <laughs> cover. <laughs> I kind of feel like a cat named after a spiritual seeker jazz musician or possibly the British actor Robbie Coltrane. I'm not sure which, but I'm going to assume it's John. Uh-huh. Um, and sitting between Watership Down and 1984, it's like, yeah, that made perfect sense when I saw, when I saw that visual image. So uh, yeah. you were saying a few minutes ago before we started recording that like that's that is very in character for you that mm, yeah yeah tell me more about that I have a low tolerance I should say and a high sense of bullshit <laughs> so like <laughs> I'm really ready to go into the deep end of things and and dig and I think I've always been attracted to that really gut-wrenching stuff that sort of grabs your heart you know tosses it around a bit and puts it back in and those kind of things such as Coltrane's music and those books um really dig you know um into that a lot of people throughout my life have been like you're just so intense it's like okay I don't know if that's good or bad but you know it just is so yeah, I think when people sometimes people say things are depressing I think what they really mean is moving and that makes them uncomfortable. Um, but I love that stuff. I love it. Have you always been able to access that when you were creating art? Was that always a place you could go when you wanted to write songs and perform? Um, it's not always easy to get that, that place and stay there, but that's definitely where I'm at when I'm able to get those songs out, and I think that's why I'm such a slow creator. Um, Because I'm not going to put a bullshit verse in there, you know? So are you the kind of person who writes when the the mood or the inspiration hits as opposed to every day I get up and I write for half an hour? I mean, I should do that, but that's just so hard. Um, um, But yeah, it's kind of like, okay, I'm mentally have the time and space to do this, so I'm going to work on this now. Are there... Are there particular themes to which you're attracted? There's always going to be relationship stuff, but I think for me there's more of the spiritual and socio-political type stuff going on that is more interesting to me to write in, once again, a more universal language. Um, I've never been a great topical songwriter, though I have written some 
that's the stuff that draws me in. The the spiritual part of you is, uh, and in fact, we at one point we said we we would have some plan to have a conversation about this that was not recorded, um, which didn't quite work out. But uh, in any case, here we are with microphones, so there's no time like the present to talk about difficult things. Um, but the spiritual part of you is actually the part that I've always found both the most fascinating and uh, attractive, but I don't mean that in the like the shallow way, but I mean the part that I find draws me to you and your work the most. So can you say something about uh, maybe just maybe your own religious or spiritual life or how that's evolved? I was raised in the Lutheran church and I still identify as Lutheran. I've strayed quite a bit from that, but I got into theology quite a bit in my early 20s. And then I, you know, there was always this loving the church, but hating the church because the church brings people together, but people are flawed and the churches also need to stay afloat. And so they're going to, you know, pander to the wealthy donors. And that is not what Jesus was about. So, you know, it's like there's just this this, explicitly not (laughs) there's this big juggle. And so I, you know, went, you know, I, I went from being just so fastidious and attending, you know, these services and then, um, I had eventually, you know, I'm a librarian by trade, aside from musician, and I eventually found myself working in a seminary library, which was awesome because I got to be around all these genius professors, and it was it was a reformed UCC sort of affiliated, so it was open and affirming. It was like the most liberal kind of Christianity. You, could, you know, it was awesome, but at the same time, they were still in that whole we need to survive financially thing. And I'm just like, this is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) And I never really found a home church there because I could always get, you know, selfishly get what I needed working there. But I eventually left there too. And um, since moving back here, I haven't really found a home church. I mean, and then, and personally, I think the biggest sort of breakdown for me was I had a a good friend from college that I was actually a housemate with. I went to Frostburg, um, Maryland for my undergrad, and his name was Dan. He he sort of grappled with the same kind of religious stuff, and his, you know, all of his family basically turned out to be Methodist ministers. And, like, wouldn't you know it, he finally just stopped fighting the call, and he became a Methodist minister, and I went played at his church. But you know, he'd always had issues with depression and he ended up taking his life in 2014. And I think that's where there was a switch in me that's like, holy shit, if this man of God cannot have enough faith to stay in this world, what am I doing, you know? Um, So I think, you know, that's still a lingering thing. But I'm really still stuck on theology staying because you know the lutheran church can be quite liberal as well they're the elca lutheran church anyway um and i liked martin luther's idea of grace that you know that one tattoo on my arm right below saint francis is latin for simultaneously sinner and saint and that's something i still try to live by but um right now i'm really into thin places Okay. I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. Um, well, I think it's more of a Celtic thing, but it's been adopted by various religions and spiritualities that um, a thin place is is sort of where you feel 
the space between you and God or a divine power is, is thinner. Okay. So for me, that's, you know, out on the Appalachian Trail in the woods. That's, that's a rambling explanation, but no, <laughs> it was a great. big and question. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like it, it speaks to the way that at least I have just the same background, except that I was raised Catholic, but then eventually switched, my family switched teams to Methodist, but it was not for theological reasons, it was for convenience. Well, um, Lutheran's Catholic light, so. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and and if, I always say that I'm I'm one belief in a personal God away from being Catholic again, which is a big <laughs> step. But um, I do feel like we're kind of left out on our own if we're people who have issues with the institutional church but deep callings toward the toward religion itself mm-hmm. the you know the kind of uh that kind of grounded personal religion i don't it just doesn't feel like there's much infrastructure either in our society or in our religious institutions for that kind of seeking like I don't feel like we're encouraged to be mystics, for example, or, you know, <laughs> to go out in a cave and pray or meditate or whatever mm. it might be. I mean, that's kind of seen as like aberrant behavior. And then to say, you know, like you just did, and I and I feel similarly, although I've never been on uh, the Appalachian Trail, but I mean, that idea of like communing with nature, I think a lot of religious institutions wouldn't see that as the same thing as coming here and doing our thing. And... Yeah, so it feels like a real challenge to figure out how to be a religious person if you can't find an institution that feels like where you fit. Do you have a need for that? Do you have you just filled it with other things or I think so. I mean, I'm fairly socially inept <laughs> and, and um that's like a built-in community. Um but there's always this fear that, you know, you start going to the same place you immediately get loaded on with volunteer duties that you're not sure you can keep, you know, not that I'm against that stuff. Um, But I think with the pandemic and things going virtual and me not really being into the virtual services all the time, it's been a little harder for me to want to sort of church shop, so to speak. Yeah. Do you, you mentioned a few minutes ago um, wanting to write about these and other issues in kind of plain plain language, accessible language, is is your religious seeking something that you feel like you're you're able to write about in language that other people can access? Yeah, I, th- I think a little a little bit. I've thrown in a lot of biblical references here and there. I don't know if you've noticed that, um, uh, but you know, I. The one song that I put out a couple years ago, White Blaze, which is about the Appalachian Trail, you know, um, what do I say? Uh, been picking up bad vibrations so far away from home. Been wondering all creation for kingdom come. You know, little things like that. And I think that's sort of part of that, what that song is about. Um, I mean... I think a lot of my songs might be about that now that I really think about it. It's one of those things you you write it and then you analyze later. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I am my own therapist. <laughs> yeah, so. I totally They tell me take my time to listen to my head. I push my ear up tight. I hear my heart instead. The heart's a lonely hunter for water from the well. The heart's a lonely hunter. Sometimes it breaks itself 
What place to play? Some say I lost my mind. Some say I made this bed. Turn down them sheets tonight. I'm gonna lie in it. The heart's a lonely hunter for water from the well. The heart's a lonely hunter. Sometimes it breaks itself. You just you were just referring to the idea of community, and I'm curious about your yeah your feelings about community, building community, how necessary it, it is for you. Do you notice the absence of it? Is it not absent? I mean, I'm I'm just wondering where kind of where you're at in the, those questions. I don't know anymore. Um, I think like a lot of this pandemic was good and bad for that, and it's really hard for me to know. Like I don't, I don't know what my community would be at this point. To be honest, that sounds depressing, but <laughs> um, I don't know because you, you you don't have a ton of civic organizations anymore, and organized religion religion has sort of taken a fall. So now you have these very political sides of things. So um, I, you know, the mu- there's a music community that's okay around here. Um, it's hard not to rely on social media, you know, I don't want to, but it's, like, uh, that's what's there right now. Um, but I, you know, I think that's also something I'm eternally seeking is like what my community is. So I don't really have a good way to answer that. Yeah. And now so much of our lives feel very fragmented, both by the pandemic, but I think just in general, I don't feel like we have the sense of community we used to have. And I'm not sure that anything has replaced that. I don't feel like social media has, even if it's, well, it may have, but I don't think it's an adequate replacement. And I feel kind of unmoored by that. I don't know if that resonates with you at all. Yeah. Um, I don't think we reach out to each other as much because we'll just look at what they're doing on Facebook or Instagram. And now we know we don't have to, you know, um, I can talk to people around me, talk to people at work, but it, you know, it's also as an adult, making adult friendships is very hard. I don't feel like we were adequately. (laughs) Like, you want to come over and listen to records with me? And we're like, so. <laughs> I mean, yes, but I don't think I've been asked that maybe twice ever in my life yeah, by another right? adult human it's being. like, yeah. how awkward does this sound? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so tell me about what's happening with you kind of musically these days. Are there, are there projects you're working on? How are you feeling as a songwriter these days? What are, what's happening in your musical life? I've got like a ton of half songs I've been writing, um, but mostly I've been noodling around on guitar and I'm actually finishing up a track um in uh Dan Collins's studio. I'm not sure if you know him. Um I do. Uh, many given that this show does not have a geographical basis, almost no one listening to this, well actually probably a lot of people will because of listen because of you. But in any case, yeah, he's a very talented musician and producer in the Central PA area. So um that's almost done. Cool. Um I'm way behind on recording. I've got a little bit of stuff in my own home here to do that. I'm just not confident in 
my abilities to do that. And I'm sort of trying to do a track by track recording thing. And I don't know if CDs are even worth to make anymore, just, or just even a whole album. And like, so I'm just kind of testing out people here and there who I might be able to work with and might mesh with. And, um, this one I'm liking a lot. Um, it's just, uh, so that's almost done. Um, and then from there, I don't know. Um, I just got in this house less than a year ago. So once, you know, things are getting a little settled, I might have more time to actually focus. There's a piano in the basement. I can practice that. Um, but other than that, the gigs have sort of wound down because of the weather and there's, it's mostly outside stuff. So, um, I don't have a ton of stuff coming up. So I'm trying to, I've been trying to learn a lot of songs that people I actually know have written. I don't know if, I mean, I've posted some of yeah, them. Because um, I think, you know, going back to the community thing, that, you know, I, I see a lot of my artists that are friends, musicians, whatever, really promoting themselves. And it's like, that's could be a community right there where we're promoting each other. You know, I know you have got a, a Patreon thing, and I don't subscribe to anybody's Patreon, but I should, whether I have time to listen or not. Um, but it, it's, yeah, making time, I think, is the worst excuse. I need to make time to make more art. <laughs> and, I, yeah, the, the time question, it feels like sometimes there is, in fact, an ocean of time that is actually harder to fill than if there was no time. I mean, I sometimes feel like, and I'm sure a very different life than you, and I don't have a lot of commitments during the day or anything. But I, yeah, I, I think it can feel like there's almost like too much time or maybe even too much demand on artistic people to put things out into that time. Like, am I still a musician if I haven't put out a record this year or in whatever period of time? Like, it feels like those demands to kind of, to, to live up to whatever the publicly visible standard of achievement is are, make it almost like less attractive to, to make art in that space. Yeah. It's like, is it, do you call it art or do you call it content? Yes. You know, like, here's some new content. Like what? What we used to call a song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yes, and it, I can't. I can't tell if I mean, there's definitely a way in which this is a very curmudgeonly part of the conversation. But I also feel like that's not bad. Like I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not super happy with kind of where things are artistically. Like I recently put out a couple things on a label that only puts out stuff on cassette. And I kind of love the, the that enforces a community of a kind because only people, the only people who will ever hear that are people who are willing to like get a $5 cassette player at Goodwill. And that's like, there's just a little bit of effort in order to consume what's created by this label. And I just think that's great. Um, I mean, it, it's not that everybody should only be putting things out of cassette, but I just, I don't know. There's, there seems to be some lost connection in there in in the creation and the consumption of, of art, at least. I was reading something the other day about Spotify, um, which, of course, I use. But it's, it's it was more like, um, you know, the lack of focused listening anymore, which I, I don't always listen focused sure. either. But, uh, but it's like, 
now it's just playlists for a mood. You know, like, is anyone a fan of an actual artist anymore? Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad, but at the same time, it is what it is. You know, back in 20s, blues days, it was all, you know, uh, singles. Yeah. You know, that was, uh, but yeah, I don't, I just don't know. I, I know I'm not ever going to be competing with uh, other music atten- music people's attention you know i've never been that popular musician i've always you know been called a musician's musician so i'm never gonna expect to like blow up (laughs) streaming you know like wow but um Speaking of uh, the old blues days, one person who years ago I started listening to much more regularly because you had talked about her. I don't know. can't remember what context that was in. Um, but his sister Rosetta Tharp. And if we w- were to make it through this whole interview without ever mentioning her, that would be a crime. So can, first of all, her name might be brand new to many people listening to this. Can you say something about her and why she grabbed you? Um, I've always been into old gospel, um, you know, black gospel music. And I think I first came across her when I was about 17, which once again, for context was probably 2001, um, 2002, whatever. Um, and, and she like had a really short moment, a clip on a Ken Burns documentary. I think it was American Roots. It was okay. a very, like, maybe four segment. I don't remember. Um, but like immediately I was hooked and I even like ended up writing a paper about her and I could barely find anything. Of course, now you can find so much about her. And since then, I've just sort of been eating up everything I could find about her. Um, I, I can't explain it. That's, you know, my special interest, I guess. Um, can you tell, say a little bit about who she was? Just like a, a uh, couple she lines was a um, guitarist, gospel singer. I think her heyday was like early '40s until she passed in the early '70s. And she played in these open tunings, um, had on various guitars, and she sang, and um, she crossed over into rock and roll. Um, and many famous artists were inspired by her people like Elvis and Johnny Cash. And she was like, she got fairly famous in her time. And then she sort of her, her, her legacy sort of died away until very recently. I want to say within the past 10 years, she was finally inducted to the rock and roll hall of fame in 2019. I want to say 18 or 19. So she's sort of having a resurgence. Can you put your finger on what it is that like first grabbed you when you well, like when you heard her on that Ken Burns documentary? Um, well, being a female guitarist, it, at first it was her insane guitar playing, but then it was also just the soul in her voice, and um, she was very much an entertainer, but she was also very real, um, and she just—I don't think she gave a shit about what other people said. And she, but she was also steadfast in her dedication to God, you know. Um, I think she was raised in the uh, Church of God in Christ Church, I want to say. Had various husbands. It's rumored that she had female lovers, though she was never out about that. She said, I don't know. I, she just had an amazing life. And um, I love her musicianship and her singing and her interpretation of gospel songs and things she wrote. Um, very much an inspiration to me. 
And she feels like in the the years since I first learned about her from you, um, and I have done a lot more listening and reading, I think she'd be just as iconoclastic if she came out right now as having come out all those. I mean, she feels like she feels like almost so far ahead of her time in some ways mm-hmm. that like she's out of time. <laughs> like she, I you think know, so. <laughs> she has broken whatever that loop is, and it's just in her own her own era, her own world. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There uh, and I would highly encourage folks to see. There are plenty of now clips of her. Um, you can actually watch her perform, uh, and yeah, just an absolutely arresting performing mm-hmm. presence, stage presence. I mean, and a person who would like occasionally kind of give directions to the crowd and that kind of thing <laughs> during performances. And she definitely. Uh, I mean, it's so funny to see her when she's overseas. There's like all these white guys in suits and. You know, some ladies in dresses, and she's like, "Tell me what you want to hear. What about this song? What about this song? What about the <laughs> okay?" And yeah, she's she's pretty awesome. So we are uh, drawing to a close, but uh, we heard a little bit of your music earlier. Um, but I wanted to put a full track in at the end of the podcast, and um, you had suggested one. So can you tell me what you've picked to take us out? So Stranger um, is from my last, well, not last, but uh, last full album, Loam, and it's basically my version, my take on Poor Wayfaring Stranger, a classic folk song, but it's, we were talking about biblical references, and this one has a ton of them, um, and then you were also talking about how I could be in the 1800s and be relevant, so that's why I feel like a stranger, so... Yep. That's awesome. Hannah Bigman, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do it. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this episode of A Brief Chat. You can support the show at patreon.com slash vanarchism. You'll get early access to every episode, a monthly bonus show, plus travel essays and photos and videos from my Vanarchism project, which chronicles my van travels across the U.S. Thank you, and I'll talk to you again next week. (laughs) 